Hi, thanks for joining us. I'm Jen Winkleman. This next pocket of time is going to be dedicated to the healing art of storytelling. I've been working in the mental health field for the better part of the last two decades, and in that time, because of my work, I've had the great privilege of hearing countless stories. I hear stories that leave me at the end of the day filled with awe about the resilience of the human spirit. And I get to hear stories about those surprising moments when love steps in to save the day at the very last moment. And I hear stories about the true grit it sometimes takes to survive the human experience. I learn something about life and humanity from all of these stories, and I want to be able to share what I've learned. But because of the part that I play in my community, I'm meant to be a keeper of those narratives. It's important that I maintain privacy and confidentiality for the families that I serve. And so those stories have to stay inside the four walls of my counseling office and are held by those sacred moments where one person tells their truth and another person bears witness to it. And in this, there's some sort of magic that we co-create that leads to healing. But this has me thinking that the reach for healing could be bigger. So I decided that outside the counseling office and on a larger scale, we needed a forum for storytelling. We need to get back to the root of taking the time to listen to each other's experiences and to begin to draw from them. So today, our guest and I will have an unscripted conversation, apart from the questions that we routinely ask to get into it. And then you and I will have the opportunity to learn a bit from his or her experience. In every case, there is value and something that we can borrow for our own lives. Because behind every face, there is a story. And in every story, there are life lessons begging to be learned. So as we listen along today, it's up to us to find the lesson in the story. And then if you and I so choose, we can catch that truth like a firefly in a jar and use it as light on our own paths. Thanks again for being with us. This is All I Know. Today, our guest is Stephanie. Steph? Yes? Thank you for being with us. Yeah. We're going to square up with our four anchor questions to set our springboard for today. Okay. So question number one, who are you? What do our listeners need to know about who you are to make the most out of whatever they'll hear later? Well, I am, I'm a daughter. I'm a wife. I am a sister. I'm a mom. I'm a dreamer. I'm a faithful believer. I am a nurturer. Um, I'm a caregiver. And I'm a giver, just in general. Some of us believe that our lives are pretty ordinary, and others of us think that we've had a really extraordinary life. So if you look at that spectrum between ordinary and extraordinary, where do you plot your life on the spectrum? Growing up, I, I definitely would have said ordinary, uh, but as life has come my way, I would say it has become, I have become more aware of how extraordinary my life really is. Like it was extraordinary even as a child, or it evolved into extraordinary? I think, I think it evolved there, and I'm just grateful that I was able to see that so that I could appreciate how extraordinary it had become. What uh, is your definition of success? 
to you what marks a successful life? For me, contentment is a really important part of being able to appreciate success because I've, I've known so many people in my life where success was, even when they were, when I could see that they were successful, for them it was always after the next accomplishment that they could maybe feel successful. So I think, when I think about success, it's a pride in who I am, how I am defining what's important to me, and that I'm focused on those things. That's success to me. Okay, and then the last part of our tee-up for today, just so people have a little bit of a sense of who you are. Uh-huh. What would you say are three events or experiences or themes from your life that you believe have most shaped who you are and how your life has unfolded? And then after you list those, which, which one are you going to tell us about and teach from today? Wow. That, there's... Um, <laughs> A lot so, of people have that yeah. reaction. <laughs> so, so I would say that the theme would be that, um, especially in my adult life, I have seen the the signs that God is at work in my in my life and in bringing things together and in making Himself visible to me in the times that I needed him the most. That's the th a definite theme of my life. And the three events that I would say have really solidified that would be um, what I call the penny story. I was in my mid-twenties when that happened. Another one would be uh, when I met who is now my husband and his son. And the last would be um, a, a very long story if we go there, <laughs> but it starts with some very difficult times in my life, the time right before we adopted our daughter. Uh, I faced the greatest challenge emotionally and, and physically that I'd ever faced in my life and had to decide could I continue through the, the journey of adoption. And that story ends sitting underneath a tree that tells me that God was in it from beginning to end. So th going along with that theme, those are the moments in my life where God has very clearly tapped me on the shoulder in a way that was very clear and very visible to tell me that, that there was a purpose and there was something at work that was bigger than me and that was for me. He showed himself. He showed himself. So between the Penny story mm -hmm. and meeting your husband and his son yep. and the story that ends under a tree, which one are you going to dive deeper into with us today? Well, any one of the three is going to make me cry. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. I'm torn between two stories. Um, the Penny story, because it is... It is an amazing story, and I do, I would, I've never really shared that story before, and I feel like that's one that somebody could pick up and they could take that, and it could really mean something. But the most impactful story in my journey has been the journey that ended under a tree 
So I'm torn between which one to tell. Well, then I think you should tell them both. Okay. And let's just take our time with it and we'll see how it unfolds. Okay. Maybe even as we're sitting here, we'll decide we're doing a second show. <laughs> <laughs> and if, it, or maybe it will all fold into yeah. one. So yeah. we'll just let it be what it is. Okay. So starting with the penny story? Starting with the penny story. So back in my college days, uh, like many young girls do going off to college, I found the one, my person. I really believed I had found my person. And um, the relationship was complicated. He had come to college with a relationship that was kind of unfinished back at home. A dating relationship. Yeah, a, a serious one. They had been... Uh, dating for a number of years, and f their families were, were close friends. This was the relationship that families back home had always hoped for. You raise your kids together, and you're always hoping, oh, one day they'll get married. And he happened to be in one of those types of relationships back home. Had ended it before college, but there, he knew the pressure was still on to continue that relationship. Um, but feelings were very strong by both of us. Uh, we kind of on and off dated for two years. This old, this past relationship of his, I could tell there was family pressures that um, to he, reconcile. Should, he should go back to the relationship that he should, that was the right relationship for him. I never met his family. He didn't want to take me home to meet them because it was complicated and he didn't think that they would be supportive. What was that like for you? That he didn't want you to meet them. And he was yeah. your, like... He was my person. Hearing and you say yeah. he's your person, he's the one. So then what's yeah. that like to not be able to be yeah. meeting was, his family? It was hard. I was, I was so young at the time that I think I just thought time, it just needs time. You know, just the feelings were so strong. And that was why I said on and off. There were times that wasn't okay, and it was like, fine, you don't want to take me home, you don't want to take this relationship to the next level, then I don't want to take this yeah. relationship to the next level. I want to forget that I'm in love with you. And so it was, it was this on and off thing where he wanted to keep the relationship at this certain level, this magical, chemical reaction that happened between us that was irresistible to both of us. I mean, it literally was like electric in my body when I would be around him. Yeah. And um, the frustration would settle in that we couldn't get past that because we couldn't let it really become like a real relationship. We finally kind of had a breakthrough. We had been doing this for two years. And right before the end of the school year, we had really finally had like that one intense talk where it was like everything that needed to be said was said what our real feelings were, how how to our core we were drawn to each other, how he couldn't stop caring about me if he tried. This is something that I, I, I can't resist any longer. I can't fight this any longer. He was like, I'm going home. I'm letting them all know. We're going to make this work. And once he got back home, I, I went home excited telling my whole family hey this is going to be big like this is coming it's happening for me and uh and there it was silence and I was very confused silence from him or yeah. silence from your family silence from him and I was very confused and I found out about three weeks later from a common friend of ours that he was engaged and I was so so leveled 
by all of that and so confused that I actually uh, decided I was not going back to school because what I did know was that the chemical bond between us, the attraction that was so like n just like really not not so it was it wasn't at a mental state that we were consciously caring about one another. It was like in our guts we were just so connected. Mm -hmm. And I knew that if I went back, I would settle for the same back and forth, the same on the draw and off, would still be the, there. Right. And, and he had a ring on someone else's finger. Yeah. And I was like, I'm not doing that. It's different for you to have somebody back home that you're not in a relationship with, but that you keep going back and forth and keeping the conversation open. But you've made a decision now, and I won't be a pawn in that game. But leaving meant that I had to be the one to walk away from girlfriends that had become like sisters to me and a school that had become very important to me. California, instead of Colorado, leaving all of that behind, walking away from everything else that I loved about the school. And I literally, in a few weeks' time, found a school to transfer to at home and made the switch. And what's interesting is that you talked about how if all these stories tie together and what came into my lap as I made that decision to stay home was a little family that had a wife that was sick and they needed someone to help nanny their son and because I was going to be living in Colorado instead of California and needed to get a job and needed to get into school I I became this little guy's nanny and now I'm his mom and so are they all woven together of course they are our lives are a tapestry and so we're all of them are woven together but um, I left the school and I never spoke to him again and I went back uh, well, I didn't. I I intended to never speak to him again. <laughs> Let's clear <laughs> that, that up. That was the line I drew in the sand. <laughs> However, I didn't keep that. That spring, right before the semester ended, my friends were begging me to come back and visit. So I did, and was determined he will only see me from afar, and he will never again be able to make contact with me. And you so, guys had st had not spoken no. since the night of the big right conversation, right. Mm -hmm. So um, I did see him from afar, and I, I did give him the look like you missed out and walked away and didn't give him the time of day. And then later that night, got picked up by some friends to go out to Sparkles Beach in Santa Cruz, California, for a big bonfire for the night, and he was sitting in the same car. The car and, that picked you up. Yeah, and he was positioned in the back seat and I was the first person to get into the back seat, so we ended up squished side by side in the car to drive to this big gigantic. I'm sort of bonfire. wondering where your friends are in all of this. I know, not not watching out for me. They did not know he was in that vehicle. There was a lot of us going, and he had manipulated his way to get to, near you. Yes. And so anyway, long story short, that night was torture. Of course, there was whispering and making himself available to go walk and talk on the beach and and I held my ground. I was like, that's not happening. As proud as I was of myself, I 
went to bed that night going, but I haven't answered questions. Like, yeah. I don't even know how this happened. He didn't answer for himself at all. Right. Even though I was so tough. Right. And so the next day, the, I had gone to a Christian college, and so the next day there was chapel as there was every day. And so I sat through chapel, and it was not that chapel was all that moving, but I was very stirred by all of this, and I was going home later that day. And so when chapel ended, I just told my friends, just leave me here. I just need to spend some time here. And so I sat in the pew and I was crying and trying to figure out what to do. And Darren came in and he sat, he's, my eyes were closed and he sat down beside me. And I said, I don't want to hear any more lies out of you. I don't want you to tell me any more about how you care about me. I want to know what happened? And he explained to me that when he went home, his pastor, who had been a mentor of his and he was aspiring to be a youth pastor, had actually had him working very closely with him on a, on a project for about a week and a half. They'd spent a lot of time together. And he called him into his office and he said, I think you're really weighted down with the decision, Darren. I see the weight on you. And I think I can help you. And he said, I thought for a moment that I could finally tell somebody about you and instead he handed me a ring box and he told me that he believed that I was supposed to propose to the other girl and that uh, he needed to remove any obstacles and make help Darren to know very clearly that that was the direction that he was supposed to go and Darren said I cannot explain this except to tell you that I believed with all my heart, that God was telling me that this was what I was supposed to do when I was stop. I was to stop trying to make other decisions. That I, this was what He was supposed to do. And I was stunned. I mean, how can you argue with God told me to? You when can't you're, argue with you know, him. when you're twenty like years, twenty one. I was tw- almost twenty one at the time. I was twenty years old, and I was stunned. He paused and he held out his hand beside me, and I did not put my hand in his hand. I just looked at his empty hand and he said, Stephanie, you will always be the treasure that I'm not going to let go of. But I just knew that I couldn't be with you. I can't explain it any more than that. And I said, well, there's nothing more to say then than goodbye. And he got up and he left. And the rest of the day I was like angry because I was like, wait a minute. Was that just a load of crap that he gave me? That he used God as the ultimate excuse? Oh my word, I just got completely screwed. And if he thinks I believed that, I look like a foolish girl. And seven, you know, seven months later, I'm still remembering my response to that conversation. And I'm still shameful that I didn't like call bullshit or push and say, Great. So you're gonna make, you're gonna pull the God card yeah. on on screwing us both over. And the, why? How is it that you can say I'm a treasure that you're gonna hold on to your poor wife? That she's gonna have a man that actually is holding on to, to another person else. that she, he just can't have. I mean, I just kept getting more and more angry, and I just kept getting more and more confused by the whole thing. And this was all in the spring of 1992. In 1993. I had fallen in love, and I had gotten married, and I had, uh, in 94, had a baby, 
1995, my husband had a speaking engagement in Scotts Valley, California. And that's where my school was. And I thought, you know what? I, I want to take in there. I want him to see the places I made so many memories. I want to show him the, the window I broke when I was trying to throw a rock up to get my friends to come out and, and go to the beach with us. I want to show him the back path to Alfred Hitchcock's house that was down the street from the school that was so scary and creepy to go to on at, to walk <laughs> nice. on at night. Yeah. I want to show you my favorite beach. I want to take you down Surfer Drive and like make you a part of this place. So I went with him and I did all of that and we had a wonderful day and it felt so good but there was this part that even though I was four years removed from all of that pain it was still with me and I went to bed that night in our hotel room and I there was this longing inside of me to, to not take that home with me like I need to leave it here like I want to be done with that I'm I want I don't want to bring it with me anymore what was the pain was it rejection was it it was four years of really um Feeling like, why did I have to be somebody's second choice and not their first? Shame of my response. Was it, had I been, had I looked like a silly girl that was just easily manipulated by a boy that was willing to say what I needed to hear and, and charm me? Or was any of it real? Was I just played the whole time by this guy? You know, yeah. had I just not seen how foolish the whole situation was? So embarrassment, some shame, still feeling like wronged, and still not understanding, and a level of anger that God, if you really did say that, then why am I? Why did I get screwed over? Like, if God, just to make sure that we're tracking with you, if God had intervened when He went home. Mm-hmm. And given the direction through his yeah. pastor, yeah, this is the person that you're supposed to be with. How come it's costing you so much? Right. If that's and God. why why wasn't it me you told him that he should be with? Like why why am I the one that got the short end of the stick? Because I'm your daughter, right? And I thought you wanted the best for me, and he's the best. He was the best for me. And going, I'm tired of feeling like he was the best for me. Even married and happily married and in love and 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 feeling like I was now somebody's treasure who was willing to, to hold all of me, not hold me as this little token in, in his hand, but somebody who, who saw who really did see me as a treasure and who really, really wanted a life with me and fought for that life with me and pursued me even when I was trying not to pursue him because I didn't want to get in a relationship where I could get hurt again. I hadn't dated really anybody from Darren to my husband, Doug. I had gone on dates, but I hadn't really let anybody in again because I just had this doubt that it will only go so far and then I won't be the one. I'll be two, three, four. I'll be left. It will happen again. And especially Doug had been married before and it was like, but he'll never love me all the way. He might not love me all the way. I might end up being that widowed mistake, you know, that that happened out of grief and five years from now he yeah. might say, I was wrong. You're not my treasure. 
and I need to move on. So there was so much that came, and I knew, I realized that so much of that came, was tied back to what Darren had done and to the fact that I was like, how can it be that two people can be so right for each other, so connected, everything when they're together is like Velcro. Like we Synergy. Can't, we, can't be con- we can't be disconnected if we try. And that doesn't work, then how is it even possible that I'm going to find a relationship where it does? Because if it was going to work, it was going to be that one. Yeah. So all of that, I just kept carrying. And I kept pushing it off. And I kept telling it, you, this will not define my life. I will find love. I will I've move moved on. on. I have moved on. I, I don't care what your marriage looks like. I don't care if you're still thinking of me anymore. I, I'm done with you. But being around the school and being in the places where we had been, I realized there's still this part of him, this wound that sits with me, this doubt that sits with me. And that wonder of, did God really tell him? Like, are you partly to blame for this, God? Or was this just a 20-year-old guy being a 20-year-old guy? Was he just a jerk? Or was he really as broken-hearted over this as I felt he was when he told me that? Yeah. And all I knew was that I was done. Like it Carrying wasn't, all of yeah, that. Yeah, it wasn't coming home with me. I had two beautiful children, a loving husband, a happy life. And the only part of that place that I wanted to take home with me was the, the happy memories that I had shared with my husband that day. And I didn't want anything else coming back. Like, it's not packing it in my luggage. So... As I'm laying there in bed and having this whole conversation with myself, I decided, how do I do that? And I'm like, I know what I'm going to do. Tomorrow, I'm going to take Doug to his speaking engagement. I'm going to tell him I need to go back to the school by myself, and I want to spend some time in the chapel. And I'm going to go to the very seat where I sat, and I'm going to settle this with God once and for all. And I got this epiphany as I was thinking about this. I'm like, I need to leave something behind. I need to literally leave it behind. So I was like, a penny. I know I have a penny in my purse or somewhere in the car. In the morning, I'll scavenge for the penny. I'll go to the school. I'll do this whole thing. It's going to be like a movie. Go in, <laughs> do my thing, have my moment, you leave know, my, my penny. good Hollywood cry. And then set the penny on the pew, on the front edge. It was an old wooden pew, the kind that kind of dips down for a butt room in the back of this pew seat. And I was like, I'm going to set the penny on the front edge of the seat. And who knows what will happen with that penny. But in my mind, I can can play it like a movie and imagine that somebody's going to come into chapel and they're going to find it. And maybe they'll think it's a sign for something and they'll take it and they'll, they'll think... Somehow it's helping them to to find their way. And it's going to go off into the universe. It's going to matter to somebody else. It's like all that, all that is going to, I'm going to channel everything to that penny and I'm going to let it go off into the universe. So I went to bed and, I mean, I was very emotionally revved up with all this. I mean, this was big for me. It was unpacking a lot of stuff. I was very raw. And you're preparing for this big moment. yeah. Yeah, and I'm putting a lot of expectation into it, too. And so, anyway, the next morning, told Doug, hey, I'm not going to stay with you. I'm going to drop you off. I'm going to use the rental car, go back to the school. And so he's like, okay. So I dropped him off, and by the time I was driving up that hill, which I had driven 100,000 times, it felt like, by that point, I was 
driving it without really thinking about the drive. You know, I, I'm lucky I didn't hit something I, on the way up because by the time I was there, I was already like the director of this movie, playing it all out, and imagining the stage and imagining the story beyond those these few minutes that I was going to spend. And I was getting closer and closer to tears. I was feeling very rattled, very raw as I drove up. Got up towards the chapel, and I was like, suddenly realizing there could be people in the chapel. <laughs> this is the first time it's occurred to you. Yeah. It may not yeah. be your this stage. This may not be the scene that I'm planning. <laughs> yeah. And so I'm like, well, hopefully there won't be people. And starting to realize even if there aren't people, they could show up later, and I will, I'll be crying. I know I'll be crying. It doesn't matter. Stephanie, you need to do this. Don't talk yourself out of it. Get in, just get, get in the chapel. Get out of the car, get in the chapel. So I got out of the car, and I started walking towards the chapel. The parking lot's not far away, but I suddenly realized I had not done any prep of a penny. I hadn't looked for one. I didn't know if there was one in my purse. Locked in the car, I didn't know if there were any pennies in the ashtray. So I was like, you know what, this is stupid. You're blowing this whole thing out of proportion, and you're expecting way too much out of this. You don't want to go back to the car, dig for a penny. You're, you've ruined it. Like, your moment is gone. It's lost. So just walk in the chapel and do your thing. And, Stephanie, you just what you've got to do is just stop. So now I'm walking into the chapel in a completely different mood than I had planned to be walking into this mm -hmm. chapel. And as I was starting to walk up and deciding where I was going to sit, I knew it was on the right-hand side. I knew it was about a third of the way up from the front. I go in, I pick a, a row, I go to scoot in, and I'm like, it's too close. This is too close. This is not it. Now I'm going, now you don't have a penny. You can't remember. It's been too long, Stephanie. You can't even remember where you sat. You don't know sat. where your spot is. This is getting stupid now. Like, do you realize you're, you're a grown woman married with children, and you're still acting like that schoolgirl that you're embarrassed that you looked like? And mm -hmm. guess what? Now you look like that to yourself. Like, you're starting to look like that foolish schoolgirl. And I almost stopped the whole thing and said, grow up and walk out of this chapel and go be a grown-up. But I said, no, I'm at least going to sit down and pray and let this, and, and, tell come God, this far. and tell God I'm done with this. And so I was like, I went back two rows, and I'm like, I know that's too far. So I'm going to sit in this one. And I went, I'd split the difference. And as I was scooting into the the row, I was literally telling myself, you look like a silly schoolgirl. You look like a silly schoolgirl. And I suddenly had to stop because as I looked down beside myself to sit down in the pew, there was a penny hmm. sitting on the front edge of the pew right where he would have sat, right to the right of me where he would have sat. And I sat next to it, and I just looked at it for a while. And I thought... All the hairs on my arm yeah. are standing up. I literally was like, this is, like, freaky. How in the, I'm in the chapel, and I'm going, how in the hell did that just happen? <laughs> yeah. How did you get here? How did you get here? And I knew I was in the right spot, and I knew that I was at a pivotal moment in my life, that I was there for a reason, that it had been a, an appointment that I didn't know had been set for me. As my mind started to shift to that instead of the silly schoolgirl, that's when the conversation went from me calling myself a silly schoolgirl, being silly and stupid and trying to make something out of nothing, 
to you and I need to have a talk, Stephanie. It's your father. This is a God moment. And I want to settle this for you once and for all. That your feelings, his feelings, all of it was as real as the penny that waited for you today. Wow. But what got messed up was that you're my treasure. And I had a little boy and a husband and a little baby girl. And what I didn't know would be another son and a little girl halfway around the world that were the best things he had for me. And while I was going to get something great in that relationship with Darren and he would have blessed it, he had more that he was waiting for me to find. And I needed to accept the fact that, yes, he was involved in all of it. And that I didn't have to doubt anymore if I was a silly schoolgirl that had been played. I was the treasure, but I'm his treasure. And he wasn't going to let anybody squander that treasure. It was a very powerful moment in my life because it was let go of that embarrassment of all of what happened and how people thought you were silly for hanging on to the hopes of a relationship with Darren and how people thought you were silly for not pushing back on his God told me to story. Was it even real? Do you even know if that story was real? I had nothing to defend. Yeah. That my choices or my actions in all of that. And I looked silly in the whole thing. I mean, there, there was no way for me to validate or prove to anyone, let alone myself, that any of that had any level of maturity or wisdom or, or validity to it at all. But sitting next to that penny, it was time for me to not be embarrassed anymore about any of it. That I was a treasure. That I deserved the life that I had found. That I am a beautiful woman, strong and confident. And that I am a, a person who makes an amazing wife and mother. And that I deserve those things. And that those things were always waiting for me. And instead of leaving a penny on that bench, it was my moment to pick it up and I still have it saved in a drawer in my jewelry box and it's that palatable moment one of those moments in my life going back to the theme that God showed up and I had a baby girl now and I needed to stop being an embarrassed silly schoolgirl. it was time for me to be a strong, confident woman that knew who she was and what she deserved and and to be that so that that's what my daughter would see and not somebody who was feeling silly and embarrassed for really for nothing. I mean, well, and that penny is almost to me, I'm reading it like God's validation that you were those things. You, yeah. What you feared you were, you weren't. Exactly. And that I didn't need to, I didn't need any more answers from Darren. I didn't need to know any more perspective from the whole thing. The reason I was able to say it stays here is because I could pick up a penny that said 
for one of the very few times in your life, Stephanie, I'm going to show you the story from the beginning and I'm going to include the end. Because that's the hard part about life is so many times we only get to see till the last couple chapters of the book and then the book closes and we're left to play how that story ends a thousand different ways the rest of our lives. And that's what I was doing. I kept rewriting those final chapters. But sometimes it would be that his feelings were real and I was validated. And other times it would be written that I wasn't validated. I'm the joke in with our mutual friends and his wife. You know, I play, I kept writing those chapters to a closed story. And it was like God said, for this one, for this book, for you to be the mom that I need you to be, and down the road even farther going to the tree story for you to be the wife and woman that you're going to need to be for what lies ahead for you you need to see the final chapters of this book so you can truly close it and stop writing it this can be done and I know that's so rare in life that we get that opportunity to really see something through to the end and say it's finished it's finished but God said here's the final chapters. It's that, really finished. And that penny is the seal. Yeah. Yeah. You kind of naturally did this already, Stephanie. I, I want to ask you, when you reflect back on the penny story yeah. and the journey with Darren and really even more, the journey with God. Yeah. Listening to you talk, it, it reframes that conversation between Darren and his pastor yeah. So much, doesn't it? Because yeah. the first time you hear it, you're thinking, what? <laughs> Are <laughs> yeah. you kidding me? And yeah. may- and maybe that conversation was actually an intervention on your behalf. Yes. But yeah. it doesn't look that way. Right. It doesn't look that way. Right. So anyway, what I want to ask you, and when you reflect on the Penny story and you're boiling it down and you're saying, look, guys, from the Penny story. Yeah. All I know is this that there is more to this world and this journey than aimless wandering and that when I've been at that place where I need to see that I need something tangible that tells me that I'm right to be looking for purpose and for some divine direction in my life that I am blessed enough to have had things like the penny, things like the tree to look at, that I can pull that drawer open in my jewelry box. There is no explanation for a penny on that chair than the fact that God wanted to meet me there and give me closure. So I'm not an aimless wanderer. I don't need to be worried that I'm fooling myself and that I'm just another aimless wanderer. I believe in purpose. I believe in looking at the things in your life and not being ashamed of them and not being in denial of them, but I want to see them. I want to see me. I want to I want to look at it. I want to be honest with myself. I want to get messy and work at it until I can find the nugget that was supposed to make me a better person and take it and and go on. 
But I don't want to just feel like I just keep going from mistake or pain or happiness or whatever and nothing sticks to me. I am Velcro. That's true. The, the, the dynamic that Darren and I were so connected together, I am Velcro. And I want things to stick to me. I want life to stick with me and matter to me. And that penny was one of those moments where it was like, you're, you, you, you get it. You're absolutely right that I'm here and looking for me isn't a waste of time. And you're not aimlessly wandering. Let them stick. Stick that penny to your Velcro and carry that with you the rest of your life. And don't let anybody tell you that penny was silly. Don't let anybody tell you that that was a fluke. Because there's, it's a miracle. It's a miracle. And I want lots of miracles stuck to my Velcro for me and so I have them to share with my children and so that I have them as a gift to give to another wanderer to help them to know, no, it's not aimless. There's purpose. Look, look at me. Look at this penny and let it mean something to you that there's purpose. Keep looking, keep digging, keep getting messy and find your, find your penny. Stick it to your chest and don't ever... Let somebody tell you it doesn't mean anything because it does. I love when you, when you were talking just now, you said with like such intensity, I'm Velcro. And I was thinking back to that very first question that I asked you about. Yeah. <laughs> you are. Yeah. And I thought like, what a beautiful, what a beautiful little loop that just made. Mm-hmm. Yep. Thank you for telling us the penny story. You're welcome. So Stephanie will be back with us for another installment of All I Know, where we'll get to hear her story about the tree. I would love to share that. As always, we thank you so much for listening in. One of the most important things for our speakers and guests when they agree to be vulnerable with us about their life experience is to know that what they have to say is going to fall on ready ears, and we couldn't do that without you. Please remember that all of the opinions, ideas, information, and views shared as part of today's conversation belong solely to each speaker. And while we hope our listeners find each episode helpful and interesting, please note that this podcast doesn't serve as therapeutic intervention, nor should it substitute as advice or direction from a mental health professional. All I Know is a production of Inward Bound, a private psychotherapy practice based in Denver, Colorado. We specialize in working with adoptive families and provide support and training associated with attachment and the impact of early trauma on childhood development. If you or someone you love is struggling with adoption-related or relational challenges, find us on the World Wide Web. This podcast is produced by Jessica Barry Edelstein and me with audio engineering by Craig Knapp. If you'd like to be a guest on All I Know, please reach out to Jess. You can contact her at jess.alliknow at inwardboundco.com. One more time, it's Jess, J-E-S-S, dot all I know at inwardboundco.com. We hope you'll join us for the next installment of All I Know. We release a new episode every week. And in the meantime, this is Jen, for all of us here at the show, reminding you, catch all the light you can. <laughs>